You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he ain't afraid of no ghosts. It's Mr. <laughs> Jeff Huge. It's true. I, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Wait, that's a double negative. I can't remember. What's up? How are you? What's going hey, on? Man. Oh, I'm good. I'm I'm actually, I'm very good. I'm very happy right now. Be specific. Oh, because I'm distracted. <laughs> I have another thing to distract me from getting any like creative writing done. So my son, about uh, six or seven months ago, yep. found himself in possession of a 1960s vintage portable typewriter that works perfectly. He picked oh, it up for yeah. like $5. Brought that up. You said he was like typing stories on this like big clunker he, of a thing. Yeah. He, I thought he would like burn out of that and realize, ah, what a bunch of horse manure this is. Right. But you know, this is what it sounds like in my house every Saturday. <laughs> It sounds like the newsroom at the New York Times, circa 1950. Huh. I was like, I, you know, I have a portable typewriter downstairs that I, I picked up when somebody was moving. I think I paid five bucks for it and they gave it to me. My back still hurts. I think it's broken, but uh, let me see. And I pulled it out and it's not broken at all. It just needs to be cleaned. So I spent like four hours watching YouTube videos of people clean typewriters because, you know, that's how I roll these days. Yeah, and well, it, I mean, that's a step up from people cleaning horse feet that you were watching last year. So I still watch those. I still watch that guy. <laughs> and I, I find myself thinking about this as I'm looking at this portable typewriter. It's a portable typewriter from 1940. It's called a yeah. Sears Challenger 2. And I'm thinking like, I'm going to I'm gonna get this all cleaned up. I'm going to start typing drafts and letters and stuff on this old manual portable typewriter. And I started buying vinyl records for real like a year year and a half ago i started buying cds again i started buying dvds again because i'm tired of streaming availability and slowly but surely as i get older i'm becoming more and more of a luddite a who a luddite as a person who's like a, doesn't embrace new technology anymore they drift oh, back yeah. like ted kaczynski except i'm not planning to build bombs and send them to people good but like he withdrew from society and was like all i need is a hut a hole in the ground to poop in and a manual typewriter and right. like lived out in the woods i don't think i'll get that bad but the further and further i go along in life or the more i get distracted by these things that can produce an instant physical thing that uh -huh. i have to touch and mess around with the more interested in it i am i actually just hooked up my raspberry pi this week so i was doing some retro gaming and that's fun, but it, out of all like the systems that you can play, like all the Atari and this, that, and the other, ColecoVision, all that stuff, I actually find myself playing the arcade games yeah. more than any other like retro game, simply because I don't know, I because I, I I guess it's because I didn't have like all that much money when I was a kid to like get good at these games. Yeah, you know, same. I will still say right now, as a you know, as a middle-aged man. The very first level of Donkey Kong is unreasonably hard. I don't disagree with you at all. What 
the hell, Nintendo? I never really played it that much. It was too hard. It was like throwing money away. Same thing with Defender. <laughs> Boy, you, you lose money fast at Defender. Yeah, just throw it away. Yeah. Just you know, you're like, I'll give you the quarter. You go, and I'll feel complete. <laughs> My favorite thing in Defender was the hyperspace button, which was literally just self-destruct. Yeah, exactly. The hyperspace and Defender and Asteroids was the same thing. It's like, yeah. well, I feel like killing myself. I'll just hit the button. I like the retro gaming stuff, too. I'm, I'm way less into, like, the old Atari 2600 console games. Yeah, because there was, like, 500 games on the Atari, six of which were playable. I like those stand-up coin-op. Those are, those are way more fun. All right. Before we move into the show proper, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question for you. Oh, cool. I will allow a little bit of cheating. A little bit. You okay. can look at a map, but not a time zone map. Okay. okay. My question for you is China, the country of China, how many time zones does China have? How many time zones does China have? China's pretty big, Bill. It is big. It's and, so big. And heavily populated. That I'm going to count throughout the remainder of the show, and then I'll tell you at the end what number I come up with. All right, very good. This is going to be the week beginning, April the 11th, and my good nature is going to allow you to start this week. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, April 11th, speaking of old technology, 2013, uh, a nest full of fossilized dinosaur eggs with intact embryos are discovered in China. And these are sauropod eggs. What so... time about did they find them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, admittedly, the eggs and the, the embryos themselves have been, you know, they'd been calcified. They turned to stone. Right. But there are incidents where fossils have been broken open and there's been tissue samples, even though they're very old, that have been found inside of fossilized bones of different sauropods and other things because they were sealed so tight when the animal finally died. So right, right. My, my concern is that somebody in China is like, yeah, remember that movie Jurassic Park? We have eggs and we can make that happen now. That's like whenever they dug up, I mean, obviously a woolly mammoth doesn't go back as far as dinosaur eggs do, but but they've dug up like woolly mammoths and found undigested vegetation in their yeah. stomach. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, you died suddenly, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. But those things, you know, they, they pull them out of the permafrost and it's like it, it died like two days ago. Right, you know, right, right. Yeah. They're able to draw all kinds of stuff. There's There are a couple of different projects that are trying to... I think they've sequenced the genome sequence for the, the mammoths that they found in Siberia. I don't know how they're planning to reintroduce them, but there's there are a couple of different plans to sort of make them happen again. And I don't know if that means that they make an elephant and they mess with the elephant's genes and then it comes out as a woolly mammoth or if they make an elephant that has a woolly mammoth for a baby. I don't know. We're probably going to talk about this in about two more days. But messing around with this stuff just always seems like such a bad idea to me. <laughs> yes, especially over the last couple of years. Like, you know, just why don't you just rebury those? It's like finding a special statue with, like, writing you don't recognize on it. Don't try and sound that out. Just don't. <laughs> don't. Just, you know what? Just put it back in the ground. It's probably there for a reason. And just leave it alone. Didn't you see Poltergeist? The thing with these eggs is, like, they're, they're so rare. They are... Like, I don't even know how to describe them, the rareness of finding them, one, in a clutch, and two, for the most part, mostly intact. But there are all these, like, super special processes that have to take place before they can get through the shell and into where the embryo is to see what the thing looked like. That's right, crazy. Right, right. The science is, is astonishing. All right. Hey, speaking of typewriters, Jeff, Ooh. check this out. April the 12th, 1892, a man by the name of, ready for this one, George C. Blickens, <laughs> Blickensdurfer. Ah, that's a, a wow. So it must have been a tough kindergarten for that kid. <laughs> uh, anyway, our friend George 
Blickensdurfer, mm. uh, invents a small, for its time anyway, a small portable typewriter. Oh, 1892, huh? Yeah. Wow. I'm look, yeah, I'm looking at a picture of it right now, and it looks like it would be pretty light. But also, probably assuming this is all made out of cast iron, it probably weighs like 30, 40 pounds. There's a YouTube video you can watch of a guy typing on it, and it is tiny. It's like the size of a hand. Oh, is it it's, that small? It's wicked small, yeah. And it uses a, a, it has like a, he invented a special letter punching wheel that isn't used anymore today. But all of the other components of the typewriter are stuff that he's invented or adapted from existing typewriters to make that wheel work. And I guess you could type really, really fast on it, even though the keyboard layout is pre-QWERTY, so it's... Yeah, it looks like somebody dropped a Scrabble bag on the ground <laughs> for the order, right? It's super neat, though. The story of him de developing this is he was a courier for banks when he was a, in his late teens. So he was going between banks across the city and then from city to city, bringing paperwork and invoices and other things. And he realized that business people needed a way to create invoices and write correspondence and stuff while they were sitting on the train. So he went back home and he thought about it and, and invented a, effectively the portable typewriter. The whole idea was his idea. And within the space of one year of receiving his patent, had already put out five different models, one of which sold in the tens of thousands. And then he tried typing his last name and he broke the damn thing. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny to think about this, like as I'm getting into the, the manual typewriter thing now and thinking about like how technology driven by business or businesses driven by technology have always built been built on that need. So the portable computer was a thing so that people could manage computing tasks while in transit between locations. The same way portable typewriters became a thing that you could move from office to office and do correspondence or do typing or like all of these things are built on the idea of mobility. So it's not a new idea. It's just that the casing around it is different, but ultimately the same goal to be more efficient while in transit and be able to work from anywhere is the is that guiding factor. Yeah, if you look at the at the thing, it, it like doesn't have like anything underneath the keys. It looks it looks like a lot is missing from it. Right. And that's usually what happens with technology is you take away what you don't need. Think about the Sony Walkman. It took the speakers off of a radio because you didn't right. need them. You can get the little headphones. All right, so what do we got for the 13th? Well, speaking of inventions, not related at all towards being able to be efficient and perform correspondence while in transit between locations, uh, April 13th, 1988, the first patent of an animal species is granted. <laughs> it's an animal known as the Harvard mouse. It was genetically altered to be very susceptible to cancer. That doesn't seem like a good thing. But oh, it's, it seems like it's, a really bad idea. <laughs> it's, it's, it sucks for the mice, that's for sure. But for the folks that are doing research on cancer treatments and how cancer spreads and that sort of thing, this is a big boon to science. Less so for the, the poor mouse who's like, I've, I'm going to be the greatest mouse in the world. It's like, oh my God, I've got a lump on my arm. So, oh, I, I got some bad news for you there, Squeaky. <laughs> so, uh, now, this has got me thinking because the genetics of this mouse right. are... Patent, which means it has something that you can copy. And if it can be copied, it can be downloaded. And now I'm just thinking of like this Napster for animals. <laughs> yes, you definitely, there's this like Mouse Talica somewhere is like squeak, <laughs> squeak, squeak, squeak. We need lawyers, squeak. I, I think that's just Laws Ulrich anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's entirely possible. I think that the bigger ethical question is, is it, you know, when you when you ask an ethical question, you always ask, is it right, right? Is it right to build an animal, to mess around with the genes of an animal that otherwise would probably survive on its own to make it so that it's going to die of this horrible disease, even if the result of that meat leads to fewer people dying of that disease? I'm not an ethicist, but 
part of me can see the argument not to do it. Then there's the the argument is like, well, if you can make an, a mouse that's super susceptible to cancer, can you patent a chicken that has like, you know, four wings or that puts on weight extra fast? Uh, they have that already, Jeff. Yeah, we already do that through through selective breeding. But to do it in a way that you manipulate the genes at that level, it's different. It's a different way. And that's something that I think that the gene sequence itself is patented in that mouse. So the question is, are you able to ultimately patent a disease? It's a really strange, weird ethical way to sort of think about it. When it comes to ethical things like this, here's where I lie. Do I think it's right? I don't know. Do I think it's wrong? I don't know. Am I willing to do anything about it? No. Therefore, <laughs> let it roll. You know, right. that that is something that is taking place on in the zeitgeist. As long as social media has been a thing, so like the last 10 or 15 years, that people are more than happy than to just let you know what their opinion is and let you know that your opinion is wrong. But the bottom line is, until you're really physically wait, willing to do something about it, are you willing to stand in that picket line? Are you willing to actually go to school and learn about this stuff? No? Then seriously, just shut up. You know, Enjoy your hamburger and shut up. Bill, this is surprisingly unfunny for the two of us, and 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 I can actually appreciate it. Like if you read news now, like the big genetic tool that people are talking about or using is CRISPR. CRISPR is a is a targeted protein that goes in and lets you turn on and off genes. And they found that you can go yeah. in like they've cured a couple of people with like a genetic liver disease, like completely cure them where otherwise it would be terminal. See, when you said CRISPR, I thought you were talking about that trick that if you drop your phone in water, you put it in the lettuce crisper in your refrigerator, ah. and it, yeah, 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 because it pulls nope, out moisture. So for somebody like me who has a chronic illness, so I keep reading and hoping that they'll somebody's like, oh, you know what, we found CRISPR and that can fix heart disease. Like, you know what I say? Skip the mice. Stick it in me. Like, the ethical question is like, is this going to cause some other problem that we'll have to deal with, like... Make you more susceptible to cancer. Make you more susceptible to, I don't know, lycanthropy. That's werewolfism for you little kids out there. Um, but, like, you know what? The alternative of dying of heart disease, before I probably should, I'm willing to risk that. And I think that, you know, whether you're dealing with, like, cancer-susceptible mice or, or genetically engineered pigs or whatever, to stand on those corpses to make it better for people is, is kind of okay. There you go. I've said it. <sighs> Direct your hate mail to... <laughs> uh, oh, hold on. We haven't done this in a while. Twibley does not endorse the manufacturing of genetically modified chickens. It's true. I just want my fried chicken to be crisper. <laughs> anyway. All right. So moving on to uh, a lighter subject. Murder. Oh. Uh, where? April when? The f- I didn't do it. April the 14th, 1841, Edgar Allan Poe publishes his novella, The Murders in the Rue Morgue, which is effectively... The very first murder mystery detective story. Yeah, and it's got a twist at the end, too, which is... Uh, yeah. You read it now, and it's like, well, that's ridiculous. That's the thing. Like, it was the very first murder mystery, you know, and the ending, spoiler, is dumb. It turns out to be a gorilla. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, all right. Technically, it's not a gorilla, but the, in the same spirit of the of the animal, yes. Uh, wait, are you going all well actually on me? What do you mean uh, it's not uh, a gorilla? Well, it's a gorilla, actually. isn't it? Well, the gorillas weren't even verified as a, a living animal until the 1920s, and this book, this story was what? written in like 1841. Yeah, yeah, gorillas were talked about, but they had never been seen or documented until I think it was 1922. Yeah. I 
I don't, I don't, I don't even, I don't know where to put my hands right now. Yes, well, we didn't know that gorillas were a thing until after World War One. Yeah, they weren't. We could have used them in World War One. I, I can tell you that. <laughs> That's true. Like, <laughs> kill. No. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the the Belgians who sort of were in control of the Congo were way more interested in diamonds and rubber than they were in gorillas, so they didn't care. So there says was no them. Room. Yeah. Well. Anyway, the murderer in the murders of the Rue Morgue is uh, an orangutan from Borneo. And for those of you who don't. Oh ever remember seeing an orangutan, you can watch the movie Any Which Way But Lose and see one as a comedic foil for Clint Eastwood. Or you can watch Clint Eastwood be a comedic foil for a, an orangutan. <laughs> that's, that's entirely true. Right turn, Clyde. Uh, let's get back to this not knowing about gorillas business because this is interesting to me. So gorillas up until 19, we'll say 22 and some change was like what we think of as Sasquatch. Yeah, they were like cryptids, dude. There's no gorillas. Shut up. No way. Not even like 11 years later, they're over there making King Kong. Yep. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine if today that they found like, oh my God, there's a whole colony of like real actual Sasquatches out in the middle of the Pacific Wars and we stumbled right on a village of them. Holy mackerel. Why the hell were we looking in Pennsylvania? Right. You know that, yep. like, less than a year later, there would be, like, Sasquatch, the motion picture. Yeah, the Sasquatch that ate Cincinnati or whatever. Yeah, that wouldn't take them too long. Like, whenever 2012 happened, you know, I'm talking about the year. Right. You know, there was all that talk about the Mayan calendar ending and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They rushed out that disaster movie right, right. Uh, for 2012 yeah this new amazing discovery just verified by like national geographic in the 20s is you know all of a sudden it's like well if they're seven feet tall and they weigh 500 pounds and they could murder everybody that gets within 100 yards of them there's bound to be one that's 40 feet tall and that's where yeah. king kong came from and then like 60 years later they're like let's see if we can get it to talk <laughs> what happens if we make it fight a big lizard i was more talking about coco doing the sign language oh, but yeah. okay well, yeah I was, see I, my brain automatically goes to giant monster movies yeah kaiju's yeah, kaiju, yeah. Right? all right uh moving on to the 15th what do you got april 15th 1975 is the very first appearance of a character that was on TV so much it got irritating. The San Diego Chicken. For those of you who are around Bill and I's age, you could not turn on the TV on Saturday morning or Saturday evening or any day, really, and not run into the San Diego Chicken running around on uh, the San Diego, San Diego Padres, yeah, <laughs> causing mayhem in between innings at a baseball game. Like, there were whole, like, yeah. clip shows for that stupid mascot. Yeah, he was funny though. Don't go. Stupid. Oh no, no, he I'm not saying funny. it's bad. I'm just saying it's it's dumb. It's dumb even by TV standards. That's not saying it's not funny. Yeah, that opened like floodgates too. I mean, there was always kind of like mascots, but then you know the mascots really got personality. Right. After that, over here in Boston, we have Wally, the big green monster. Yes. There's another one. I forget the mascot. He's like he's nightmarish looking. They always make fun of him. I don't know. I don't really know sports too much. There's one for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. I cannot remember his name, but I watched him wipe out a bunch of like first to third graders during <laughs> during during a race around the bases at one of the games that I was at. And he just yep. he must have just forgot where they were. He like just ran right over them and just sent them all flying. It was really funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a furry costume. I technically have because I played a uh, I played the Easter Bunny. Yeah, uh, at a mall one year. Oh, good. and yeah, you're. <laughs> Which is a whole new That's story, a, a whole other story. There's another story we have to talk about there somewhere, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't really have a lot of peripheral vision inside of yeah. you know a big head like that. So another mascot thing is for the basketball team, the Raptors. Yeah. Man, if I am ever having a bad day, 
All I have to do is just pull up the gif or jif, whatever, of the raptor mascot eating shit. Yeah. <laughs> it is so funny to me. I cannot stop laughing. And the first time I saw it, I thought it was a mistake. Like the guy came running out, couldn't hold his balance and just fell on his face. Right. Which would be very funny. But apparently he does that all the time. That's like his thing. The, the, the raptor just like falls on his face all the time. But it's still, it's I can't stop laughing at it. I, I would pull it up right now just to show you, yep. but then we'd have to pause the, the recording no, no. so I could laugh. Yes. <laughs> There's the other one. Like, they sort of, the mascots kind of come and go. There's yep. There was one that was really recently added. I can't remember. Maybe it was Philadelphia, and it's like, I don't know what they call it, like the Philadelphia asshole. And it's the whole point of the, of the personality of it is like, it's a jerk. It's like terrible to the people at the park. <laughs> As we've talked about, baseball and other sports, but baseball mostly is a really weird sport at trying to draw people into stadiums to go and see it. Oh, you know? this guy, I'm looking at him now, the Philly fanatic. The Philly fanatic, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, he's for the Philadelphia Phillies. They have a big thing for alliteration over there because yes. his name is Philly fanatic for the Philadelphia Phillies. Wow, I'm filled with fantastical frolicking fun. <laughs> All right, next day up on April the 16th. Oop. Hey, we got a weird holiday, dude. Yes. We got one of our holidays of, that are weird. The 16th of April is Record Store Day. Or as we say, not from Massachusetts, Record Store Day. <laughs> you, what did you, I just say? You said Record, record Store Day. It's like the most Massachusetts thing you've, you've said in a while. Oh, my God. My friend Taylor must be just like rolling around. I'm sure. Place. She probably just drove off the road laughing. Uh, I'm sure. Record stored. Record. I can't even say it right. Record. Just, record just say store. the way it feels comfortable, Bill. I'm not trying to change it. Record. Record store day. Record store day. Yeah, I went. I bought the Star Wars soundtrack at Record Store Day. <laughs> yes, Record Store Day has rapidly become one of my favorite sort of weird holidays that I do like to celebrate. Last year, I spent all day going from store to store in Providence. This year, I probably won't because of some weird record pressing issues. So a lot of the Record Store Day releases won't be out on Record Store Day. They'll be out the following Tuesday. Odd. Yeah, you can blame Adele. Adele's <laughs> no, seriously, like. I blame Adele for a lot of things, Jeff. But. <laughs> well, apparently, the, there's a relatively small number of record-pressing plants that are still in operation. And they ordered like 10 jillion records of Adele's 30. So it impacted the supply chain like right through Christmas, and it hasn't recovered yet. So there's all kinds of stuff that's back-ordered. But if you like Adele... Uh, and I don't. You can buy her record anywhere that they sell them. I, uh, I just did the record store thing. I hung around with my friend Kim the other day. We went to a record store. Yeah, I just, you know, pulling up all sorts of different things and i managed to pull up the vinyl for the yes album drama oh yeah yeah it has a gatefold and you open it up and that record is very interesting because that's the one yes album where the two guys from the buggles are playing keyboards and doing vocals right. respectively yeah so it, yeah it's uh Jeff Downs and Trevor Horn. We've stated many, many times over here, I know you're a, a vinyl fan just because you enjoy the process of it. I mm -hmm. don't have a good record player. And yes. when I want to listen to whatever I have on vinyl, I'm like, I could easily pull up Spotify and listen to this and have it sound good. I don't need to right. <laughs> put on the vinyl. The only thing I could listen to on vinyl that I don't have is like children's records. You know, I'm a sucker for technology, Jeff. Right. There's no reason that you shouldn't be. If you ever decide that you want to, like, listen to records, I'll tell you the secret. Goodwill. You can buy, like, the equivalent of a giant, monstrous, million-dollar home stereo for, like, $8. Uh, if you watch Goodwill, that's where all my components have come from. Oh, I see. The record player that I have has Bluetooth on it. Mm -hmm. And it also sounds like 
an open-faced asshole sandwich. So <laughs> if you bring it up to my house, I can put on a better needle for you because I have some. Okay. It's, so there's that. It's a deal. All right. And let's wrap up the week. April 17th, 1937. The very first appearance of your favorite cartoon duck in mine, Daffy Duck. I love Daffy Duck. Yes. And I guess Daffy Duck came about because Warner Brothers was going to do a cartoon where Porky Pig was menaced by multiple ducks. Uh-huh. But Bob Clampett, who was the director and lead animator on the cartoon, was like, you know, we need we need one duck. No multiple ducks for us. And from that, we got Daffy. He's an amalgamation of multiple ducks into one duck, ah. which works for him because his character is very funny. Yeah, and his character is very kind of, he's all over the place anyway, you know. There is, in, in addition to the Raptor, if the Raptor gift doesn't cheer me up enough, I can go to YouTube and I can look up a cartoon called Yankee Doodle Daffy. People that have known me a long time, if they're listening to this, they're like, I know exactly what you're talking about because... I know if, exactly what you're talking if about. I, yeah, <laughs> if I watch this cartoon, watch it with me at your own peril, Jeff, because I will giggle my goddamn ass off until I cannot stop laughing and I almost like can't breathe. That is the funniest card. That cartoon is hazardous to my health. It is very funny. Yeah. At one point, Daffy Duck comes out dressed as... <laughs> I'm already starting. He comes out dressed as Common Miranda. And I don't know. There's just something hilarious about a duck with like smiling with teeth. That's just hilarious to me. <laughs> that's a very funny comic. And that's one of the uh, cartoon. That's one of the later ones, too. Like, Daffy Duck's first few, he's a lot like Bugs Bunny, but a duck. Yeah. And he didn't really get his own personality until they kind of figured out what they were going to do with him. Right. And then he became a lot more easy to anger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Whereas Bugs Bunny didn't get angry, right. Daffy Duck didn't get anything but angry. Yeah, he was short-tempered, yeah. My favorite Daffy Duck cartoon is the Western one, where he and Porky Pig are like the sheriff and deputy. Do you remember there was like revival ones that they did like in the 50s? Yeah. They didn't show them as often, but there's one where it's really odd. Daffy and Porky Pig are like in a haunted hotel, and they're yes. staying in room 666, which is a little edgy for cartoons, especially in that era, yes. you know? Yes. I like that they branched off with Daffy Duck and they did like Duck Dodgers in the 25th and a half century and, and some of the other ones that are, are really, really iconic for that character. And I, I think we owe a debt of gratitude to Bob Clampett for deciding that one duck was greater than multiple ducks. Greater than the sum of its parts. Yes. I think it was uh, that was the first Oscar, right? Was a Daffy Duck cartoon? I don't and, know. Uh, I have Chuck no idea. Jones one. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well. Anyway, it was yeah. where he was talking to the he was talking to the cartoonist who was drawing him. Oh yes, yes, yes. I do remember that one. Yeah. One of my favorite Daffy Duck lines is, "I'm rich. I'm wealthy. I'm independent. I'm socially secure." <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the celebrity birthdays. First up, April 11th, 1966. A professional wrestler born Dustin Reynolds, better known to the world as. Gold dust. I remember him. He was weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, was, he was weird. Yep. He was a strange one. Yeah. That is Dusty Rhodes' kid. Yes. If I remember my wrestler's lineage is correct. Yes. Gold dust, a.k.a. Dustin Reynolds, is the son of famous uh, wrestler uh, from the golden age of wrestling, Dusty Rhodes. Now, Vince McMahon didn't like Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes was, you know, he wasn't a big muscle man. He was kind of out of shape. And, he definitely was. Yeah. And Vince McMahon <laughs> did everything he could to just f*** with that guy so bad. Yeah. Like, do you remember the Million Dollar Man's kind of like handy dude, Virgil? Yeah. 
Well, his name is Virgil because Dusty Rhodes' real name is Virgil. So, oh, that's funny. Yeah. So whenever Dustin Rhodes came to work for Vince, he gave him this really weird gimmick of this like androgynous. He was supposed to be a movie buff, like really into Hollywood and stuff like that. And he was all decked out in a gold bodysuit. He was made to look like the Oscar. The Oscar statue. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that was the original the, gimmick for yeah, Goldust. Like, yeah. Wasn't that like the... There was a Hollywood Walk of Fame component, right, as his, of his costume too. Like the, that's what the black accents were. Was it like that was supposed to be like the star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I mean the costume changed over the years, but yes, I, yes, it's exactly right. Dustin Rhodes, instead of just like being pissed and like gazing at his feet and all that, man, he owned that gimmick and he was awesome. He was absolutely outstanding doing that. He even went so far as like as the as the character morphed and it became more and more bizarre. He had actually given thought and proposed getting breast implants just to make the character that much weirder. Yeah, well, that's the excuse that I would use too. No, I mean, um, <laughs> thankfully, good taste uh, prevailed on that one. Yeah. Uh, at that point, Vince McMahon's like, "All right, all right, you know what? You win. <laughs> you you uh, you call my bluff." All right, who do we got next? April twelfth, nineteen fifty. David Cassidy, who you, I'm sure, remember, and our audience may remember as vocal star of the Partridge Family TV show and record albums as Keith Partridge. David Cassidy, wasn't he, wasn't he David Cassidy? <laughs> he was. Yeah. He was David Cassidy. Literally the very first piece of music I ever had at my disposal as a child was an eight-track tape of the Partridge Family that I could reach out and restart from my playpen. I would listen to I Think I Love You uh, 150 times in a row, which I still do. Not only that, the first song I ever bought on iTunes was I Think I Love You by the Partridge Family. I've never not had that song somewhere in my collection since I was three. Interesting. I never really watched the Partridge Family when it was on like syndication because I loved the monkeys and I loved the Brady Bunch and the Partridge family was neither one of those things yet both of those things. Yes. I don't know. I, I never really watched it. I, I could probably go back and watch reruns and be like, oh, this is not offensive. They're fun. Yeah. It's, like it's a really standard sitcom with a song in it and the songs are all great. Way better than, than anyone remembers them to be. David Cassidy had a long career after the Partridge Family ended, where he, he sort of disappeared for a while, made some movies and did some TV, and then kind of came back and was doing like a residency in Vegas for years and years and years until he finally passed away from like early onset dementia. And lest we forget his brother, it's actually half-brother, Sean Cassidy, a former yeah. Worst Song Ever alumnus. <laughs> All right, moving on to April the 13th, 1923. Legendary funny man, Don Adams. Don Adams was Maxwell Smart on the TV show Get Smart. That was probably his most prolific role that people will know him for. He did a lot of cartoon voices. Like, he was the yeah. voice of Tennessee Tuxedo. And I think millennials re- will remember him as the voice of Inspector Gadget. He was. Yeah, that's right. He was Inspector Gadget, wasn't he? Yes, he was. I remember him as Tennessee Tuxedo trying to get out of the zoo. He and Chumley. Yes. I absolutely love the TV show Get Smart. And like one of my first introductions to comedy was a children's record that had Mel Brooks on it. Just the sound of Mel Brooks's voice is comedy to me. And then later on, or maybe a little older, like five, six, seven, eight. 
I'm watching mm-hmm. Get Smart on television you know, in syndication and just laughing because it's such a very funny show. And then I later found out that that was actually Mel Brooks's handiwork. Mel Brooks created that yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah, he created and wrote it, and he wrote it as a spoof of 007. Yep. People don't remember that show very well, but some of the jokes from that show still carry on, like the Cones of Silence. Yeah, it never worked, right? Uh, yeah. And they never worked. Uh, no, they were so good that it was silence. Yep. The phone built into his shoe. The shoe phone, yeah. The other agent, Agent 99, played by Barbara Feldon. Gloriously beautiful Barbara Feldon. Moving on to the 14th. April 14th, 1935. Amateur uh, archaeologist and Baloney artist Eric von Daniken, born in Switzerland, and he is, you may not know him, but he's, I the, don't. he's the father of the book Chariot of the Gods, which you probably do know. I've heard of it, uh, yes. He puts the pseudo in pseudoscientific. Pseudoscientific text describing how ancient civilizations were visited regularly by aliens from another world based on the mythology that he could spot carved in their wall hangings and carvings and hieroglyphics and other things. Uh, routinely proven to be completely full of shit, uh, but is the sole impetus for the phenomenon of ancient aliens. Well, you'll have to excuse me while I roll my eyes really, yes, really far yes. backwards. Uh, me as well. I can see my own brain. It's, it's not a good thing to see. Well, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have that guy with the crazy hair on the History Channel. I can't think of his George name. George Sukalos, yeah. Georgio, I'm not yeah. going to say it was aliens, but it was aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you about meeting him, right? All right, I'll tell it real quick. So I was at a concert, and Giorgio was at the same concert. And then the the band was about to start. So I went, like, running to the bathroom, uh, you know, because I didn't want to miss the show. And as I'm going towards the bathroom, I see Giorgio, and I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, man? He goes, oh, hi. And he goes to shake my hand. But I wasn't going to shake hands. I was going to the bathroom. <laughs> so as I walk by him, he kind of, like, awkwardly brushes my arm from, like, the wrist up to my shoulder. It is the one time that I've had a celebrity interaction that was completely weird and awkward where I'm not the weird and awkward one. (laughs) No, that's so funny. (laughs) All right, moving on to the 15th. April April the 15th, a celebrity I've never met or had any weird interactions with. Not for not trying. Peter Billingsley, born in 1972. Peter Billingsley, wow. everybody will love and remember as Ralphie from A Christmas Story. And those of those of in the audience who have been to Bad Movie Night with Bill and I will know him from the tour de force that is the Dirt Bike Kid. Yeah, featuring <laughs> featuring last week's birthday boy Stuart Pankin. Peter Billingsley's an interesting guy. Uh, he made a couple of movies that were really popular. The Christmas Story probably being the, the most popular of those. And then he did the Dirt Bike Kid. And then he went off and he just did, he started doing writing and producing. And he went on to produce that show with John Favreau and Vince Vaughn, where they interviewed people kind of from their generation in Hollywood about what it was like in the industry. I can't remember what it was. They had dinner and talked. Okay. It was like on A&E, just like 10 or 12 years ago. I don't remember sure. what it was called. No, I remember. I don't remember the name of it, but yeah. Yeah. And then John Favreau went on to direct a bunch of the MCU movies. You know, he's good to his friends and he stuck Peter Billingsley in Iron He was in the first Iron Man and then he kind of like resurrected his role in Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, cool. And I was so mad that I didn't recognize him. It's like, that's Ralphie. Everybody knows Ralphie. (laughs) All right, moving on. All right, speaking of actors, uh, April 16th, 1965. I want to say character actor, but that's not necessarily true, but he started out that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, John Cryer, who started out as a character actor and was in a lot of the teen movies as like a second banana. He was in John Hughes' movie, Pretty in Pink. 
Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, it was Ducky. Everybody loves Ducky. He was Ducky, right? And he was in Superman Four, and he was in a bunch of stuff, but it was never big roles. And as he's matured, he had. I mean, he was one of the two men on Two and a Half Men for the entire run of that show. Yeah, but wow. so overshadowed by Tiger Blood there, um, <laughs> by Charlie Sheen's off-screen antics. That yeah, I almost like forgot. I was like John Cryer, oh, you know, currently residing in the Where Are They Now file, but it's like. No, he was on Two and a Half Men for like you know a decade or more. I forget that was even him. The other now that he's he's currently on Superman and Lois and was on Supergirl as Lex Luthor. So he's been on those shows since they started. And I think Supergirl's like ran seven seasons. Yeah, and he's out there. Yeah. He's a great Lex Luthor. Yeah, a v- yeah, a very long and, and and illustrious career. But at the same time, it's not like he's paparazzi fodder. You know, that's the way to do it. You know, be busy, be famous, and, you know, have your own life, too. And wrapping up the birthdays, oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) April 17th, born in 1891, guy by the name of George Adamski. George is a Polish-American extraterrestrial abductee, or so he said. Some regard him as the first modern abductee, you know. From the, yes. from the modern era, not those classic ones that we heard so much about. He was the most famous in the 1950s. Other regard him as an elaborate hoaxer and completely full of bullshit. <laughs> he made a bunch of phony baloney UFO photos. Mm-hmm. They're really famous, though. Yep. If you've ever seen like the UFO that looks like it's very clear in the pictures and it has like three balls or three like circles underneath. Yep, I'm looking at one the now. The dish part. They're super clear pictures. But it's also relatively clear that he made these models and took pictures of them. Yeah, it looks like a hubcap with some like molding clay on the bottom, right? Yeah. Hilariously, uh, same guy. During Prohibition, he founded the Royal Order of Tibet and was actually given a government license to make wine for, quote-unquote, religious purposes. You know what? I would do that, too. Yep. He later claimed, I made enough wine for all of Southern California. I was making a fortune. (laughs) I bet he was. That's the way you do it, Bill. When Prohibition ends, you turn your attention to snookering people with UFO photographs. Yep. It's an age-old story. You know what you turn your attention to now? The worst song ever. All right, Jeff, your turn. What's in the canon this week for the worst song ever? All right, I'm going to start us off with a disclaimer. Go on. This is a worst song ever only because of how long I've spent with this song rattling around in my head. And it's been a song that I've gone back and forth with a million times that I really like. Okay. So, today we're talking about the song Eyes Without a Face, written by pop-punk pioneer Billy Idol. I like this song! I also like this song. I've liked this song since the very first time I heard it. Okay. It like 1985 or something, right? 1985 when it came out? Okay, so, so why is it in the WSE file? All right, so let me explain. I was running around doing errands for a couple of days, not last weekend, but the weekend before. Yep. So I happen to be like in the supermarket, and I'm walking around the supermarket, and I can hear... <laughs> I can hear the strains of Eyes Without a Face over the speaker system in the store. I generally like this. So I start to sing along with Eyes Without a Face. Mm-hmm. And I'm bebopping through the store and I'm singing along and I don't think anything of it. And then I'm driving and I go to this other place. I'm looking for some socks. So I go to this place called Super Shoes and I'm in Super Shoes. And again, I get to the sock bin and I'm looking in the sock bin and there's Billy Idol in the sock bin with me singing 
Eyes Without a Face. So I sing along again. He's following me. He's, sock, but he's, he's following. doing that lip thing. And then I'm driving home and I'm like, I've got satellite radio on. It's like, hey, it's 80s radio and it's Billy Idol with Eyes Without a Face. And I'm like, really? And I sang all the way through. This is the only time it was really clear. And I wasn't distracted really by doing something else. And it dawned on me halfway through this song that I've known since 1986. I have no idea what the hell this song is even about. <laughs> and I'm singing along and I know all the words and I'm like, what the hell is this song about, Billy? know all the words right so whenever you told me you were gonna pick this song i pull it up on spotify today and i'm listening to it and i'm like <laughs> almost mad at you because i'm like i there's nothing wrong with this song i like this song this song's fine and i message you and i'm like what's wrong with this song why and you're like dude the words so i pull up the lyrics because spotify sometimes has lyrics but there was a a techie problem where they didn't have the lyrics to the song at Spotify. Instead, they had an excerpt uh, from an interview with Billy Idol explaining what Eyes Without a Face is about. And let me tell you something. That interview <laughs> was as nonsensical as the lyrics to Eyes Without a Face itself. I have no better understanding of what that song is about, even after reading what that song is about, from the guy who wrote it. I don't have the, the good fortune of having that happen. At that point, I probably would have just laughed myself directly into the hospital. Yep. I went down what I like to call into the Billy Idol vortex of confusion. Yep. Over the last week when I said I wanted to do this song, I went and I spent so much time now with Eyes Without a Face on purpose that it almost eclipses how many times I've I've spent time with it by mistake. I watched live versions of it from like big concerts. I've watched live versions of it from like when he's by himself with Steve Stevens in a radio station waiting room. I've watched the video, I've listened to the song, I've read about how many versions there are of it and how he wrote it and what it was based on. What is it and based it, on? The song is still just as goofy as it ever was and I still don't know what the hell he was singing about. What is it based on? Okay, so this I learned through the careful research at, because my first thought was like, it can't be based on a movie or something. Well, guess what? It's it's based obliquely title-wise on the movie Eyes Without a Face or Le Sans Visage, which are actually French lyrics in the song that I only learned doing the research for this segment because um, I thought they were singing something else in English. Yeah, that's what the girls sing, yeah. Yeah, that's not what I thought she said. But <laughs> whatever, so it doesn't matter. Now, How did I, I get on the radio? <laughs> right? Not only was I singing along, Bill, I was yep. singing along wrong. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so it's based on a, like, a French film from the 60s called Eyes Without a Face. The plot of it is there's a doctor who's a plastic surgeon whose daughter gets disfigured and he starts killing models and taking their facial parts to put on his daughter. But in the end, he does so many surgeries on her that all that's left of her face are are her eyes. Okay, so that is not what the song is about. I'm going to go out on a limb here and think that Billy Idol does not speak French. (laughs) And like there's a segment in this where he does like the Billy Idol rap thing, which I guess was a thing in like 86. And that's where this one throws me off all the time. This is where the what the what the hell is this song about part <laughs> came about. When it changes over to that great like Steve Stevens riff and props to Steve Stevens for approximately 500 years of playing with Billy Idol and being awesome for the entire 500 years that he's been playing with him. 
Yep. Because it doesn't matter what year you listen to, he sounds fantastic. But when you get to like when when he's doing like hanging out by the state line, drinking, turning holy water into wine, drinking it down, oh, no, that means anything. It's just rhyming slangy garbage, right? Yeah. Though what really threw me off when I was reading through the lyrics of this is whenever he goes, your eyes without a face, right? He says, your eyes without a face. Now, if he's saying that where the your is a contraction for you are, you know, your eyes without a face, okay, that's fine. No. Lyrically written down, it's your as the possessive. Your eyes without a face. And it's like, okay, you had me for a second, Billy. I thought I knew what you were talking about, but now I'm back at square one. You are just gobbledygook. You are you're almost as bad as Duran Duran lyrics. Yeah, it's it's definitely out there. And and again, going down into the Billy Idol vortex of weirdness. Go and watch a uh, a couple of the old like appearances he does on David Letterman's show. Uh-huh. Cuz his whole persona was like he was like um I don't know, brain damaged uh, moron like didn't know where he was or why he was there. But his interviews are incredibly awkward and terrible and funny all at the same time. Yeah, he was like a this blonde Sid Vicious. He was like, what happened if Sid Vicious lived? I will say this. So I went back, again, in the vortex of weirdness, I went all the way back to Generation X uh-huh. and listened to a bunch of Generation X tracks, which were ne- they were they never made any dent in the United States. They right. put out three records in Britain and did really well. They are the band that invented pop punk yes they sort of look like the sex pistols and they kind of sound a little bit like the clash but they sing about the stuff that the rolling stones sing about right yeah dancing with myself was a gen x song wasn't it all of their songs are like you know their songs about girls and going out and doing stuff and it's like there's no like social anything in their stuff it just isn't there it's they're a total pop band and (laughs) it's great billy idol the grandfather of pop punk all right so before we wrap up our show people are going to be scratching their heads like okay worst song ever and they both love it all right (laughs) and it's a good song so all right but before we wrap up the show completely i do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question jeff how many time zones does china have oh china's pretty big and i did do what you asked what you allowed me to do which is to look at a map of china didn't help because it wasn't a map of the whole world with China on it. It was just China. So <laughs> still, I'm not sure how big that is in relation to anything. So I'm going to guess that square mileage wise, it's a lot bigger than the United States. So I'm going to say there are f- six time zones in China. All right. China spans, watch my careful use of the words, spans about five time zones, just about five time zones. However, China has one time zone within its country. There are sections of China where the sun comes up at around 10 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess that makes things easier. Yep. The entire country is one time zone, even though it's approximately, I'm looking at the map, it's probably from uh, east to west about 5,000 miles. But they only have one time zone, yeah. So, yeah, if you live in western China, if you're getting up at the crack of dawn, it's like 10 in the morning, yeah. Wow. It's yeah. one time zone. Oof. Interesting question. Yeah. The world knows the United States at least uh, changes its time around twice a year. Let's make Even it Even though three. that's not specific to time zones, but uh, I, I would like it better if we didn't do that. We're going to change it with the tides. <laughs> well, that's going to wrap up this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using TWWWBLY. 
Don't forget to tell all your friends about our podcast. Tell them it's like Shark Week, but for like more weeks and less sharks.